There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. Greg, good to see you again. You too, Colin. I say that every week and it just seems to stick. <laughs> Last week, we interviewed Ben Carlson from Ritholds Wealth Management and the focus was on the U.S. election and what investors can do based on the outcome. Of course, at the time of this recording, we still don't know the outcome of the election. And we could be waiting a few more days, so interesting times. Very interesting. And what we were talking about earlier, being Canadian and having a Canadian election not that long ago, how our national election was basically decided by the time dinner was ready. <laughs> That's right. When Eastern Canada's finished voting, it's pretty much over for us. So. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about something slightly different, although related to volatility. And the discussion today is on what's called the death of the 60-40 portfolio. This is an article that's been written many times in the last few years based on where, I guess, interest rates are, bond yields, and the outcome or future for those. And I think one of the things people might be wondering is, well, what exactly is the 60-40 portfolio? Well, actually, and before you get into that, let's lay out the structure. So we want to talk about that. We want to talk about expected returns from what you're going to mention. We're going to get into what we call the Death Star portfolio and then talk about some expectations of 60-40. So Greg, what is the 60-40 portfolio? I'm wondering what is the Death Star portfolio, so I guess I'm going to have to wait for that. We're going to get into that. Okay, so a 60-40 portfolio has long been kind of a standard balanced growth portfolio that many investors have utilized over the years. And the 60 refers to 60% of the portfolio being invested in stocks and 40% of the portfolio being invested in bonds. Now, in some parts of the world, like in the States, the 60% would be the S&P 500 and the 40% would be U.S. Treasury bonds, which are government bonds. In Canada, we tend to look at it a little more broadly. So 60% is just 60% in stocks presumably diversified around the world, and 40% in bonds, presumably not only government bonds, but also more of a broad bond investment. But 60% stocks, 40% bonds, that's what they call the classic 60-40 portfolio. So we're referring to that 60 as a global stock portfolio. That's correct. And the same for the 40% in bonds is a global bond portfolio. Exactly. And so many pension funds and retirement accounts of people all over North America, presumably the world, would be invested in that 60-40. And we recommend this portfolio a lot for people if it's appropriate for their long-term goals. So it is appropriate even for our listeners that are in Poland, Taiwan, exactly. and other areas of the world. That's right. Perfect. And the reason why we're bringing it up is because largely as a result of what's happened with bond markets and interest rates over the last number of years, actually since the global financial crisis, but more recently, as interest rates have plummeted to all-time lows, then people are questioning 
is the 60-40 portfolio still a reasonable way to invest, or is the 60-40 portfolio dead? Now, before you get into that, I would argue, though, that bond yields have been coming down for like 40 plus years, not 10 years. Well, they have been, absolutely. And so there's been a great bull market in bonds, so to speak, since about 1981, when interest rates peaked at about 15 and change percent. And so there has been a massive run in bonds, but people have been proclaiming the death of bonds for the last eight to nine years because interest rates went down as low as two and a half, three percent, and coming from 15%, it seemed like they couldn't possibly go any lower. Now, the flip side to that is if you're borrowing money right now, you're borrowing at all-time lows as well. Well, absolutely. And so as a borrower, now is a perfect time to be buying a home or taking a loan for capital equipment, whatever it might be. But as an investor, you worry about that. And so I have in front of me a stack of articles that claim that the 60-40 portfolio was dead. 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 It's dead. Yeah, that's, that's pretty final. <laughs> and again, the reason for that is the question, well, what kind of expected returns do we have coming from bonds over the next however many years? And a lot of this comes from the fact that when you look at bonds, there's a belief, and I believe it's probably proven out over long periods of time, that the expected return will be largely in line with the starting yield. Meaning right now, if let's say for argument, the starting yield is 3%, then over the long term, regardless of whether interest rates go up or down, your expected return would be somewhere in the range of 3%. And now just for some of our listeners that don't all have financial backgrounds, when you say yield, you're just talking about how much a bond pays you in percentage. That's right. So here's the question. How's that worked out? Well, let's look back over the last few years. So 2018, that was a pretty poor year for bonds. Interest rates had been rising through September of that year. And by the end of the year, the Canadian Bond Universe Index, so that's just the index of investment-grade bonds that trade in Canada, returned only 1.4% that year. The 10-year bond at the beginning of the year was 2.05%, went down to 1.97 by the end, so that even though yields went down, we didn't even earn that coupon rate of 2%, which was the yield starting in 2018. So again, the coupon rate is just what the bond is meant to pay you. Exactly. In this example, let's call it 2%. If you buy a $100 bond, you expect to earn $2 in income that year. That's not a lot of income. It's not a lot of income. And because of the price changes in the bonds, even though you might have got the 2% in interest, your total return, which is the total of both the interest that you earn plus any price change in your bond, either up or down, we only earned 1.4% on bonds. Now, that turned out to be pretty good because stocks that year were down, and I'll be talking about that in a little bit. So let's look at 2019. So when we started 2019, bond yields, again, the interest that you would earn on a bond for the upcoming year was 1.97%. And I'm talking about 10-year government bonds here. So the yield on a 10-year government bond started just a little under 2%. Well, in 2019, bonds finished the year up 6.9%. So despite the fact that we started 2019 with a very low yield, we actually made about 6.9% on our bonds. Because of trading bonds, like the price differential on bonds? That's right, because interest rates actually went down further that year. But again, the price change 
did not even account for the entire return on the bonds that year. And so again, with bonds like stocks, it's very difficult to predict exactly what the return is going to be in any particular year. But it is well known though that when the stock market goes up, the bond market goes down, or it's thought that way anyways. And when the stock market goes down, the bond market goes up. That's the thought. Although you'll find it doesn't always work that way. And What? And, <laughs> and we talk about correlations. So how correlated is the return on bonds to the return on stocks? And the answer is, well, they're not perfectly negatively correlated. So it's not that if stocks go up, then bonds always go down. And if bonds go up, then stocks always go down. So there is some correlation, but it's not not exact. But the price is constantly changing on bonds, which is where I think a lot of investors get it wrong when they look at things like GICs. That's right. Because with a GIC, when you buy a GIC, you're told that you paid $100, for example, and that it's worth $100 every day that you own it until it finally matures and you get your $100 back and whatever the interest rate was on that GIC. The kind of bonds that we buy are marketable bonds, meaning that there's a price set for those bonds every day. And that price can change in relation to or in response to a number of different factors, some of which are things like interest rate changes or other things. So let's get back to bond returns. The beginning of 2020, this year, we were starting again with an even lower yield on 10-year government bonds. I believe it was about 1.7%. So we started this year 1.7%. So you'd have expected returns to be quite poor given the fact we're starting with a very low yield. By the end of October, so just a few days ago, the Canadian Bond Universe Index was up 7.2%. And 10-year bonds are yielding now just 0.66%. So the yields have gone down, but the total return has gone up. Which is what we expect, but... When interest rates go down, we expect returns to go up like that. But starting the year, we didn't expect any of that to happen. But I mean, when you're at like 0.5% on interest rates and they cut it to like, I don't know, 0.25, that's not cutting it from 5% to 2.5%. No, that's right. But there's quite a bit of return here, even with a very small cut because interest rates were so low. Yeah. And you have to remember that interest rates come down for a couple of reasons. The short-term interest rates come down because the government or the central bank in Canada sets those rates and they set them lower as a way to stimulate the economy. The longer terms, the bond interest rates, so like the 10-year bond, it falls because people are eager to buy bonds. And by having a lot of buyers for a particular asset class, it pushes the price up. And the way bond pricing works is when the prices go up, the yields, the return that you can earn on those bonds through their interest payments goes down and vice versa. So again, this year, and particularly looking back to March, when we were in a, what we call a sell everything mode in March, when the fear over the economy and the shutdowns around the world happened, people were selling their stocks. They were selling their higher volatility assets in favor of safe government bonds. Now, wait, though, you said we were in a sell everything mode, like we weren't. Oh, not us personally, no. (laughs) But the world was. (laughs) The world was. Okay, so because there was a huge demand for the safety of government bonds, the prices of the bonds were pushed up and therefore the yields were pushed down. So that's what happened. The question is, what's going to happen over the next year? And over the next year, it's impossible to predict. And not that we can't make a guess, but we don't know 
exactly what's going to happen that would have people either buying bonds or selling bonds. And so we do know, though, that with the low starting yield, that the benefit of falling interest rates will be reduced because we're only at 0.66% right now on a 10-year bond. So it really only has not very far to fall before it hits zero. But can it get to zero? Sure, it can get to zero, and it can get to below zero, as we've seen in many countries around the world. And the concept of negative interest rates, which essentially means when you buy a bond, you actually have to pay for the privilege of holding that bond as opposed to actually earning interest on the bond. It seems very strange and something that we hope doesn't happen here. I don't think it'll get there, but you never know, depending on what happens with the economy, with the pandemic, etc. So we can't predict exactly what returns will be, but we believe that they may be lower than they have been just because of the very low starting yield. But there's steps we can take in our bond strategies to improve the situation. And some of those steps are adding more corporate bonds to the portfolio because corporate bonds tend to offer higher yields than government bonds just or higher interest rates just because they're somewhat riskier. We assume that government bonds will be repaid no matter what. Corporate bonds add a little bit of extra risk to the portfolio. Some people can even add higher risk, high yield bonds, which are definitely more volatile than a government bond, but also offer more attractive yields. And we can also add global bonds to the portfolio which include bonds issued by some international countries and international companies that may also offer higher yields. So the 40% of the 60-40 portfolio can still offer reasonable returns despite how low the current interest rate environment is. When you're talking about can bond yields go negative, and in that case, people are actually paying for safety. So this happened in 2008-2009 when U.S. consumers were selling stocks and buying treasury bills and they were paying the government for safety. It reminds me a lot of like, I have this picture, this visualization of like a mafia thing where the mafia is going from store to store and getting store owners to pay them for protection. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, store owners have to pay out of the revenue that they're generating within the store just to be protected from. (laughs) That's not a statement either for or against any mafia people out there. But So what about equities? So we've talked about fixed income or bonds that, Like, look, regardless of where interest rates are, they are a required part of a portfolio because of volatility. But how do equities play into that? When we build a 60-40 portfolio, we're putting the majority of the money, in this case, 60% of our funds, into stocks. And obviously, the reason for that is because over time, we expect stocks will outperform bonds and cash. And so for investors looking for growth in their portfolios, we have to own stocks. We've talked a lot in various of our podcasts about the difficulty of predicting future returns. So we can easily look back and look at how stocks have performed historically. and That's easy. That's the easy stuff. There's tons of data on that. As far as what are expected returns, I mean, well, officially expected returns on stocks are based on the future cash flows of the companies, based on sales, revenue, etc. And so those future cash flows are discounted back into the current price of stocks. And the returns will be based on that. But that's what happened in March when the economy came to a screeching halt. Nobody was making anything. Everybody was sort of at home. So nobody was selling anything or, well, so cash flows would be impacted. Cash flows hugely impacted and earnings and all of the usual criteria that people look for in stocks and future stock performance. But that makes sense why the stock market went down so quickly as it did in March because it just came to a halt. Exactly. And it's interesting. Because coming into this year, 
2019, last year, was a terrific year for stocks. I mean, Canadian stocks rose something in the order of 19%, and the U.S. was up anywhere from 22% to 29%, depending on which index you looked at. And so coming after that, it would be actually fairly reasonable, even if it wasn't right or wrong, to predict, well, maybe stock performance won't be so good next year. And that's without a minor detail of a global pandemic and complete shutdowns of economies around the world. And so, as you just mentioned, I mean, when things shut down in March, the market declined about 35%, which was the most rapid bear market ever. And as we all know today, the recovery was also the fastest on record. And as we sit here today, the Canadian market is down just 5.8% on the year. And the U.S. market is actually up over 7%, looking at the S&P 500. So is the 60-40 portfolio dead? We think not. A lot of writers are suggesting alternatives to bonds as a way to find investments that will move in opposite directions to stock or somehow provide returns that are independent of stock and bond price movements. And so when you look at the alternatives that various people are proposing, you could have some options that are kind of like old school. doesn't mean they're good or bad, but things that people have been adding to portfolios for years, like gold or commodities or hedge funds, which claim to be able to generate absolute returns regardless of the direction of stocks or bonds, or cash, just keeping the money in cash and having that available. And there's also new alternatives that you'll see people talking about, things like cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. These may or may not turn out to be diversifying asset classes in the future, but in the end, we believe that a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, whether it's 60-40 or whatever is the most appropriate asset weighting. It could be 70-30, 50-50. It's all very personal. But we think that we can continue to earn reasonable returns from those balanced portfolios that continue to include bonds in them. And the ongoing benefits of rebalancing, which we've talked about as well, which just involves selling what was your best performing asset class at presumably high valuations, while buying the other asset classes at lower valuations, that will add to returns over time as well. Right on. So I guess what I'd say is we're not in the camp of the 60-40 being dead. Well, I mean, if you were, you would believe that diversification and asset allocation were dead. Exactly. I mean, and we've done a number of episodes talking about those two things because they're super important. Like those things that you mentioned, gold. I've had a number of people ask me about gold. Gold is super volatile. It is. Commodities, well, I guess kind of the same argument. Hedge funds, there was a massive hedge fund that just failed this year where all of their investors lost 100% of their money. That's a loss. That's it's a pretty <laughs> substantial loss. And there's some lawsuits coming out of that, of course. There's, when you talk about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, blockchain and whatever, maybe it's just too new. I don't know. Well, that could be an Again, things play out over time and they evolve. So we'll see what happens with some of these. Now, you said something about a Death Star portfolio. Yes, the Death Star portfolio. Something I wrote about a couple times, actually. I seem to bring it out of the file whenever there's a new Star Wars movie that's been released. Or in this case, there's a show on Disney Plus called The Mandalorian that's come out for its, I think it's second season. Have you watched it? I have not seen it. I'm not a Star Wars person. I'm a Star Trek person. So I apologize for any offense I've caused. Well, we're not going to get along during this part of the episode very well then, but I grew up a Star Wars fan, of course, and 
what was Star Wars? I mean, you had the Galactic Empire, also known as the New Order. And in it, they created this Death Star, which I'm sure most people listening to this would know, where they sunk a bunch of resources into building this ultimate destroying machine. And the idea was it could, with a concentrated position, so one massive Death Star, it could take out a whole planet. Now, of course, to me, this is like a highly concentrated portfolio where you have one or two or maybe five stocks, all of your wealth invested into it. Yes, it has the potential for massive returns up and down. So where we see this in our local market being Calgary is maybe somebody that held just a small number of energy stocks. Before 2014, they probably were doing pretty good. The price of oil was hovering around, I don't know, over $100 a barrel for West Texas instrument oil price anyways. But today it's $38 a barrel. And I won't get into the details between the difference between West Texas and Western Canadian Select, but just folks in West Texas, that's a drop of more than 64%. So if your portfolio was one of these Death Star portfolios where you're heavily invested in just a small number of energy companies and the commodity went down by two-thirds, I suppose it's kind of like when Luke Skywalker took down the real Death Star in the movie with a single shot. So my question to people when we talk about things like Death Star portfolios or things that are just overly concentrated is what if something happens? What if something bad happens? Instead of putting all of your resources into that one mega destroyer and just diversifying your attack weapons. So to me, Greg, this aligns with our discussion of a 60-40 portfolio. Right on. So you're diversifying your resources. You're not holding it all in one place. I should mention as well, that 60-40 you talk about, and you said it could be 50-50 or 70-30 or 80-20 or whatever, that asset allocation comes from a financial plan or some financial planning to determine what's right for an investor, right? Exactly. 60-40 is just a generic asset allocation that's meant to apply broadly, but again, obviously subject to individual circumstances. Which makes it interesting that there's all this attention on, is the 60-40 dead? So why doesn't it say, is the 50-50 dead or is the 70-30 dead? Well, and the interesting thing is what they're really saying is, are bonds dead? Does it still make sense to invest in bonds? Because essentially what they're looking for is an alternative because the belief is that the returns coming from bonds will be poor going forward. And we just don't believe that you can make that judgment. Well, let's talk about returns real quick. Now, in our example here of a 60-40 portfolio, I mentioned in June of 2014, the price of oil was $107.50 a barrel. I think I mentioned that. And today it's just over $38 a barrel, 64% negative return. Well, a 60-40 portfolio in the model that we ran for this example returned about 6% a year from June of 2014 to today. That's a huge difference. It is a huge difference. And it just shows, again, and I know we sound like broken records, but when talking about 60-40 or 50-50, what we're really talking about is asset allocation and diversification. Which would be known as your only free lunch. Exactly. Good point. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that that brings up is some people say, well, it's about cost. So if I own three or four or five stocks in a concentrated portfolio, I keep my costs really low. And we would argue that keeping costs low is super important. 
For sure. We definitely don't want to add cost to people, but if you're just in a concentrated portfolio to reduce cost, but those positions go down by as much as 100%, who cares how much you saved? And the whole cost question is kind of an older issue because all of the new products coming out, whether they're low-cost mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, there are many, many broadly diversified investment options that are available at minuscule cost. And so cost should not be the factor. We want to keep costs low, as you point out, but you don't need to sacrifice diversification for it. Well, even in the States, I mean, the cost of trading is now zero. Correct. It's free trading. That's right. So I looked at the cost of the Death Star in the movie Star Wars and how much it would have cost to build. Now, it would have taken, get this, 800,000 years to construct the Death Star. That's a long period of time. Well, they better get started. <laughs> and it would have cost $852 quadrillion. That's a lot. That is a lot. So roughly 13 times the world's gross domestic product currently. I think what they need to do, and this is going to sound like a bit of an aside, but apparently there's an asteroid hurtling out there in the solar system somewhere between Pluto and Saturn or something. And it's all made of nickel and other metals. Oh yeah, I saw this. And it would be valued at 10,000 quadrillion dollars. We just need that asteroid and we can build our Death Star. (laughs) So obviously very expensive and time-consuming behavior in creating a Death Star and also in creating a Death Star portfolio. So if we liken the sort of original Star Wars movies to the most recent market collapses, so that being the credit crisis of 2008, 2009, and then most recently in March when we had COVID outbreak. I mean, we saw massive sell-offs on various markets and investors who had these highly concentrated portfolios, which to your point about the other side, the 40%, when people are selling stocks, they're probably buying bonds for safety. That's right. And that's why bonds went up as much as they did. Because it had nothing to do with yield. That's right. I mean, who buys a 0.66% yielding instrument for yield? It's all safety. It's where can I put my money where I don't have to worry that it'll drop by 35% over the next 21 days. Well, and our hope is that through these experiences, people don't build these Death Star portfolios that if they did, if they were unfortunate and experienced some bad returns or a bad experience during 2008, 2009, or even in March, they learned from this lesson, something that the empire did not because the 60-40 portfolio in 2008 compared to the 60-40 portfolio in 2020, is probably up a lot. Absolutely, because both stocks and bonds have done well over that period of time. Bonds less well in general, which is what you'd expect. So what does it all mean? I mean, I guess what it means is that the generic 60-40 portfolio for us is just representative of a well-diversified portfolio that's allocated to reflect your individual goals and, and sort of financial vision for the future. And because it's so difficult to make predictions about, well, how are stocks going to perform? How are bonds going to perform? We usually fall back to having a fundamental belief in the markets and the economy and capitalism, obviously, to some extent, and that companies over time are going to grow. They'll grow their earnings. They'll grow their cash flows, will provide positive returns for stocks. And at the same time, we'll get earned positive returns on bonds. And even if the yields are low, There's still lots of opportunity to improve the yields by having the right bonds in the portfolio. Well, let me give you a Star Wars take on that. It would be, you must use the force of investing 
having a highly diversified portfolio with a focus on asset allocation, reduce your costs and taxes and manage your emotions. But this has to be accomplished by use of the force. Whoa. (laughs) Or as Yoda would say, do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) An appropriate way to sum up. Is that what we've learned? That's what we've learned. All right. Well, then for fun, obviously I started watching The Mandalorian. I just mentioned it in this episode, but even watching anything fun this week? I have. I saw one of the best series I've seen in a long, long time. It's called The Queen's Gambit. Wait, I thought it was a movie. It's a series? It's a seven-part miniseries, I guess you'd call it. Queen's Gambit, beautifully acted, charming movie, all about chess, which I haven't played chess since I was a kid. Makes me want to pick up a chessboard. (laughs) But anyway, it was just for anybody who hasn't seen that and has access to Netflix, it's a Great, great show. You'll enjoy it. Greg, you have a chessboard in your pocket. It's just called your phone. Right. Good point. (laughs) Pretty sure you can download a chess app or game or go online or something. Don't get me started. I have work to do. (laughs) Any local events these days? I don't know. I haven't done a lot. What about you? You're out more? I'm out more. (laughs) Not really. I mean, yeah, I go out of the house. I went to Costco. That's kind of a local event. For me, that's an afternoon for sure. (laughs) Nothing too interesting these days. Well, just trying to live our best life during this time. Yep, all you can do. Well, listen, I guess that about wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us on the free lunch. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We hope that you'll tell your neighbors, friends, colleagues, or even people you don't like about our podcast and tell them to come check us out. We'll see you next week. All right, see you next week. Thank you for listening to the free lunch podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein. Its affiliates or subsidiaries and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking, or other services for or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2020.